Well, I want to forewarn you, I have a lot of passages, a lot of scripture texts this morning. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the book and the chapter. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to give you the verses. But if you want my notes, you're always welcome to those. If you'll email me, I will send you my notes. And then you'll have all the references in their entirety. So I'm going to summarize where we've been the last two weeks at the outset. God is love. 1 John 4. He doesn't just love. He is love. God loves His glory. Isaiah 43 and 48. God repeatedly states in His Word that He does all that He does for His name's sake, for His praise, for His glory. God loves His creation. Psalm 104, the Lord rejoices in all of His works. God loved His elect from eternity past. Ephesians 1, in love He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And God loved His people simply because He loved them. You remember Deuteronomy 7? If you're a Christian today, He loves you. Why? Because He loves you. That's why. God is faithful, Deuteronomy 7 again, to keep His loving kindness to a thousandth generation. It's just a word picture. God's love is forever. You never get to the end of His love. The love of Yahweh. God said to His own, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness, Jeremiah 31. As long as God's been God, He's loved His people. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3, 16, as you know. And He demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5. And because of God's great love with which He loved us while we were dead, He made us alive, Ephesians chapter 2, that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, Ephesians 3. And yes, we love. Why? I think Jenna said it last week. We love because He first loved us. 1 John chapter 4. Because all of this is true, as we noted last week, the made alive souls, the called out ones, the ecclesia, love Him beyond expression. Amen? Beyond expression. We love Him supremely, absolutely, totally, without apology. We love Him. Nobody else gets in the way. We love Him first. And foremost, it is beyond expression. It's, I think I need those words, <laughs> and I often, I often get to that place, 2 Corinthians 12, those words that men are not permitted to speak. Amen? If you're born again, you understand what I'm saying. You just get past the words. The words are inadequate. So we love Jesus Christ ardently, fervently, zealously. We talked about it a little bit last 
we, we feel the deep emotion of, of Peter's words, right? The Lord said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How did Peter respond? Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. You know I love you. And man, that's, that's my anchor. You know, on a day when nobody else can tell I love Jesus, he knows I love him. Amen? That's my assurance. We understand the euphoria of the man in Matthew chapter 13. And from joy, he sold all that, that, uh, he, sold all that he had to possess the field. We get that euphoria. We understand that. We can relate to that. We understand Mary Bethany's irresistible need to extravagantly worship Christ as she poured the perfume upon his head and anointed him. Mark 14. And we have absolutely no problem comprehending the Apostle Paul's words about counting all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, which he says by comparison is dung. By comparison, all things are dung compared to knowing Christ Jesus. So we talked a little bit about this last week. We get this. We get this foremost command, the greatest command, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nobody has to explain that to us. We feel that when we get up. We feel it. It's real. It's true. The relationship is vibrant. If we belong to Him... I mean, how else is one support, supposed to process this transient existence? I was talking with a brother over the phone this week, and I said, I don't know how people live without theology. I really don't. How do you live without biblical theology? How do you live without God in your life? I really don't know how they do it. I could never bear up. And while none of us love him perfectly, we feel it perfectly. Amen? We feel it perfectly. He has no rival in our hearts. And as we talked about last week, we don't have any problem with Luke 14. Luke 14, 26, 14, 27, and 14, 33. Loving Christ more than our families. Loving Christ more than our possessions. Loving Christ more than our lives. This is not a problem for us. We understand this. We get it. We love it. We love it that by His doing, we've been called into this deep and personal relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. The last two weeks we've been making the case that all of this biblical revelation of God regarding how He's loved us sits behind the text you heard Joe read, John 13, 34 and 35. So there can be no doubt that God means for us to connect these dots, right? We're supposed to trace this commanded love back to Him. He's the origin of all the love that's supposed to be flowing through us and in the church. He's the origin. I think we've made that case. If, uh, if, you, if you missed those first two sermons, I would just invite you to go out to YouTube and listen to them. They might be helpful. So all the biblical truth I've just shared with you is the thread that we've been pulling for the last two weeks. So we might thoughtfully approach John 13, 34, and 35. So I would ask you to open your Bibles to John 13. We're going to be there for a few minutes.
John 13, 34, and 35. You know, God has not only given us this command, in one sense, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, it's who He is. God is love. And if we're called by His name, we should be marked by, can you guess? Of course, we should be marked by love. John 13, 34 and 35 flows out of who He is and all His purposes in providence. So, you know the setting. We're in the upper room. Judas has been dismissed. It's Jesus and his 11 guys. And Jesus begins to teach them. These are the last things that he says to his men. These are urgently important that he has saved for them on this last evening. Parenthetically, I want to say this. I always have to say this. You probably get tired of hearing me say this. The cross is about the glory of God. I know that many ignorant preachers, maybe well-intentioned, will tell you that it's all about you. The cross is about you. It is in part about us, but is preeminently and principally about the glory of God. How do we know? Well, let's just see what Jesus says here in verse 31 and 32 of John 13. Again, this is his last session with his guys. This is, this is the last thing he said. This is his last uh, farewell. This is, these are his last words. And look how he starts. Look how he starts. Verse 31, when therefore he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man what? What? Glorified. And God is glorified in him. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. It's coming upon him. The glory of God will be revealed in the cross. Amen? It will be. Praise God, it's not about you and me. It's about someone infinitely more interesting than you and me. It's about the glory of the Son and the Father and the Spirit as He saves the people for the glory of His name, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Ephesians chapter 1. You know, when crummy preachers stand in pulpits and tell you it's about you, they're selling you something. It's not about you. It's not about you preeminently. Of course, we're caught up in it, and he's redeeming a people for the glory of his name. Amen? So if you're ever sitting under a guy and he's making it all about you, you just got to get up and leave. I know that seems rude, but it's better to leave than sit under false teaching. Close the parentheses on that. Well, first, I want to, I want to share with you. Uh, in John 17, the, 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 the prayer Jesus prays to the Father. This is how he starts that prayer. Father, the hour has come. What? Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Beloved, let's just make sure we have that right. It's always about the glory of God. It's always about the glory of God. I'll close the parentheses on that. Then in John 13, 34 and 35, you heard... Joe, read the text. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, 
that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now we've, we've referenced this a few times in the last two weeks. It's a new commandment. It's distinct from the Old Testament teaching. We're commanded to love one another even as Jesus has loved us. Now, immediately we know this is supernatural. Immediately we know we can't do it. Immediately we understand we need to be indwelt. We need to be regenerated and indwelt or we cannot do this. We have no hope of doing this without the Holy Spirit. It's why truly loving the brethren is evidence of true conversion. It's evidence of regeneration. It's evidence of regeneration, that God's done the heart transplant, right? The heart of stone is gone and the heart of flesh is there. And Jesus says that, that by this, all men will know that you are mine. It's our testimony. It's our testimony to the world. As we interact in this place and, and among believers in the world, we love the brethren. Unconditionally, we love them. We love them. It's probably the biggest part of our evangelism. Have you ever thought about that? That how you're loving one another in this church is probably the biggest part of your evangelism. How you're loving the brethren out in the world. God says they'll know you're mine because you love each other. Right? 1 John 3.14, we've talked about it uh, last week or the week before. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Right? That's how we know. It's one way we know. It's one surefire way to know that I am in Christ because I love His people. I really do. And I bring my gifts into the church and I use my gifts. And I serve and I, I counsel and I comfort and I teach and I preach and whatever your gift is. I, I, I employ my administrative skills. You bring them in here. You know, I was listening to MacArthur preach. Um, Lisa asked me if I had a good birthday. I said, yeah, I went running and I listened to MacArthur preach. And I love what he says about this text, right? He says, you know, he's got thousands of people. He says, when I see my people, I see Christ. That's what you're supposed to see in me, right? I know I'm unlovable at times, but you're supposed to, to see me as Christ and love me. And vice versa, I'm to reciprocate. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. This is the distinguishing and premier mark of a true believer. It's like our birthmark. It's like a label. It's like a brand name. We love the brethren. Why is it new? You guys know the Old Testament law. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is a whole different kind of thing. That was in Leviticus 19. He's talking about the love that can only flow between two regenerate souls. Two regenerate hearts. That's what Jesus is talking about. You are to love one another even as I have loved you. I don't know if you noticed the sermon title, God's Love in Us. He's the origin. And if we're to love one another, it's just going to flow through us, right? You know, we, we just have to try to not get in the way. 
<laughs> you know, if we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we just have to try not to get in the way of what the Holy Spirit's going to do through us in the body of Christ. That love is supposed to flow. It's just a whole new standard. It's a whole new quality of love. It's way past loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, the kind of love that it's not just how I feel about you. It's not, how, it's not just how I feel about you. It's the command of God. That's what it is. And it's, it's, it's not how you've treated me, so I'll reciprocate. You've treated me well, so I'll treat you well. You know, there are people in the church who don't ever treat you well. Almost. <laughs> Almost never. But I'll treat you well. I'll treat you well. Because you're Christ. You're the body of Christ to me. You're the body of Christ to me. Beloved, I know we all have a lot to learn here. We have miles to go. I get that. But the Lord is calling us to it, right? <laughs> He's calling us to put our hand to the plow and do the work. Do the work of loving one another. It's God's love in us. It's why it took me two sermons to get to John 13, 34, and 35. It's God's love in us. It's why I read you those 10 or 12 verses before we got into the, the sermon. It's, it's God's love in us. And if you don't love the body, God's love is not in you. I mean, we can just take inventory this morning, right? This is a, this is a good hard look in the mirror for us. As noted two weeks ago, 1 John 3.10, here we go. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are what? They're obvious to everybody. Anyone who does not love his brother is not of God. Now that's an absolute statement. There's nowhere to run from that. If you despise the brethren, if you're cold to the brethren, if you don't love the brethren, well, you heard the text. You heard the text. So I'll stop and ask you, are you a child of God? Let's just do your own personal inventory. Are you a child of God? Is it evident to your brothers and sisters in the body, if it's not evident, you have every reason to question your profession of faith. You have every reason to question it. If you're not loving one another, even as Christ has loved us. Yeah, everything's at stake on this one. What does Jesus' love look like? Well, just go read the Gospels. You know, you know what it looks like. It was constant, it was free, it was forgiving and persevering, it was proactive, it was selfless, and yes, yeah, sacrificial. Jesus tells us that true Christians are to love one another like that. So I just ask you, personal inventory, do you love me like that? And do I love you like that? Don't you love it? Don't you love Jesus? <laughs> really, the Word of God in general. He never makes a suggestion. He's never giving good advice. He says, this is my command. This is the command of God. 
This is the command of your creator. This is the command of your redeemer. You love one another even as I have loved you. And by, by this all men will know that you're mine. They'll know that you're mine. It's your best evangelism. It is your best evangelism. So John is sitting in the upper room on that famous night and he's hearing these words. And he never forgot these words. And he never forgot the implication of these words. And when the Holy Spirit directed John to write, First John, this, this love command was, was obviously ever present on his mind. If you've ever read through the short book, excuse me, of First John. It's about who God is and how he has loved us. And how he purposes for his love to flow through you and me. Um, if you're not sure you're loving the brethren, I think 1 John's a good place to go. If you're not sure what it looks like to love the brethren, I'm pretty sure 1 John is the place to go. So I want to reiterate that I mentioned, I think, last week. That 1 John is the book of assurance. It's like a mirror for us. We're supposed to see ourselves in it if we are born again believers. What are the three? We could summarize 1 John with three main headings. Are you a Christian? Do you believe? Do you believe in the Christ? I'm not talking about mental ascent. I'm never talking about mental ascent. I'm talking, do you believe in such a way that your life has radically changed? That's what believe means in the Bible. Do you believe? The second one is, are you obeying? Are you living out a life of righteousness? Do you obey? That's what a Christian does. And then lastly, of course, are you loving the brethren? Do you believe? Do you obey? Do you love the body? <laughs> That's what a Christian looks like. That's what the Christian looks like. 26 times in five short chapters, the New American Standard translation of the Bible in 1 John has the word love. 26 times, five short chapters. So the Holy Spirit, he's hammering us with this truth. Love the brethren, love the brethren, love the brethren. You gotta love the brethren. And he just never lets up, right? So you can't miss this point. You can't call yourself a Christian and miss this point. You can't read the Bible with any integrity and miss this point. You have to love me. And I know that's hard sometimes. But, you know, you're no basket of fruit all the time either. But we're to love as he has loved us. This is just, it's so huge. It's just so huge. This deep, eternity-altering love affair with God spills out into our lives. If the love affair is happening, I like to call it the sacred romance. If the sacred romance is on, it will be flowing through you. It will be conspicuous. It will be undeniable. It will be seen. It will be felt. It will be heard. 
One theologian said this, Above all else, the Christian life is a love affair of the heart with God. It's a sacred romance. Some people don't like that term. I love that term. It's a sacred romance with my Creator. And of course, I, I, bring this, I bring this quote on, to you on occasion. I, I love it. Regarding the sacred romance, C.S. Lewis says, It is the incommunicable and unappeasable want. It's that thing you can't quantify. It's those words you can't speak down in your soul. And only God can go there. Only God can fill that up. Only God can satisfy that. Amen? The incommunicable and unappeasable want that God fills in our souls when once the human heart is found by God and we taste our deepest satisfaction in Yahweh, our lives inevitably become a conduit of His love among the ecclesia. It's inevitable. It will happen. If it's not happening, I lovingly say to you, you go home and repent. Go home and repent. And don't get up off your face until you think you can love me a little bit. When this incommunicable and unappeasable want for God is satisfied, God's love in us is ultimately communicated among the brethren. It, it's just like water flowing downhill. It's what happens. When it's all real, this is what happens. When it's all real, this is what it looks like. It's what the Lord is saying to us. And I'm going to say this in love. If, if this is not happening in your life, you're not a Christian. Full stop. If this is not a huge part of who you are, you're not a Christian. You've been deceived. You know, you can't really read the Bible with integrity and not... It's just a mirror, man. You see who you are in it. I love that God does that. Man, I'm always under conviction. Every week I'm under conviction. And I know I need it, right? I got lots of issues. Ask Karen. She'll tell you. No, she won't because she's a good wife. She holds her tongue. All right, I'm going to give you a little bit of a scriptural data dump now, okay? I think it's the best way for us to feel the weight of all of this, right? Instead of me standing up here and pontificate, I'm just going to give you some scriptures. I got 11 verses here. Um, they're all in 1 John, <laughs> okay? And uh, so I'm just going to do this data dump. And again, if you want my notes, you can have them. 1 John 2.10, the one who loves his brother, what? Abides in the light. And John has already told us in 1 John 1.5 that God is the light. So this is just another way of saying this is how, this is one way we know that we are in Christ. I've already shared with you uh, 1 John 3.10, uh, that, that loving the brethren is a distinguishing mark of being a child of God. 1 John 3.11, 1 John 3.11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the beginning, from the upper room on, right? Everywhere the gospel is preached, you have to love me, and I have to love you. 
from the very beginning. I've already shared with you 1 John 3.14. This is how we know that we are alive in Christ because we love the brethren. 1 John 3.16. We know, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'll touch on that one again in just a moment. 1 John 3.23. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We believe and we love. Other places, John tells us that we obey. We're practicing righteousness. These are the three main points as far as I would summarize them. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 12. If we love one another, God abides in us. 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. Do you understand? Can... Could, can the Lord make it any more clear what your, what your job is in this place? Yeah, I'm sure the pastor needs to be critiqued sometimes. And you can do that to me. You can call me. You can send me an email. I'm sure I'll benefit from your critique. But principally, you have to love me. Even when I'm not lovable. Because I know and you know there are days when you're not either. And I'm called to love you. You know, none of us were lovable when, when the Lord decided to come, right? When the Lord purposed to come. There was not one lovely thing in any of us. But he came. Back to 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, we live in Arkansas. It's very unlikely that you're going to be martyred. It's very unlikely. I'm pretty sure none of you will be. I think there were guys in Milan that, when they went home, went, went home to their countries uh, from which they originated, they would have this possibility. But none of us in Arkansas would. So what is he talking about? Does, does this verse even mean anything to us? Yes, it does. Are we to die for the brethren? Yes, we're to die to self for the brethren. This is the hardest thing to do. We're to die to self for the brethren. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. I mean, what's it going to look like, right? It looks like 1 John 3, 17 and 18. At least in part. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's like those famous passages over in the book of James that we've been studying on Sunday evening. Real believers aren't those who merely hear and delude themselves. They are, you know the famous word, doers of the word. 
and back in James as well, we are not only talkers who have no works. We put our hands to it. And we do the work. Because the Lord has been clear, faith without works is dead and it is useless. Three uh, New Testament examples came to my mind immediately with respect uh, to this 1 John 3, 17 and 18. I thought of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 where the Bible tells us that the believers had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and the proceeds were distributed among, uh, by the apostles to anyone who had need, deed and truth, right? Not just word or tongue, but deed and truth. I like MacArthur's, John MacArthur's comment on this in his study Bible. He says this, This does not convey that the early Christians lived in a commune or pooled and redistributed everything equally. And here's the kicker. This is the important line. But they held their own possessions lightly, ready to use them at any moment for someone else as basic needs arose within the church. Right? It's what we talked about some weeks ago. Nothing is yours. You're the FedEx guy. You're supposed to just deliver the package to the need. If you've got the ability to meet the need, you're supposed to be God's FedEx guy. You deliver the package. You don't sit on it. You deliver the package. I mean, these words here in Acts 2 and Acts 4, they're the, the, the essence of Jesus' words there in Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to charity. What's he saying? We hold everything loosely. We're not married to our stuff. We're the bride of Christ. Amen? We're the bride of Christ. I'm not married to my stuff and my portfolio. I don't need it to be secure. God is my security. Every day God is my security. For a billion eternities, God will be my security. So we can be open-handed, free-hearted, right? You guys know those crazy Macedonians. I love the crazy Macedonians. 2 Corinthians 8. Regarding Paul's collection of funds for... The the Judean Jews. He writes this about the Macedonian churches. You just got to love this, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the full, the full passage. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. You just have, you just, don't you want to be described like this? Don't you want this to be true in your life? <laughs> I love this. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. Okay, these people were poor. It overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify, Paul says, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Listen to this. Begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. Yeah, deed and truth. Deed and truth. Don't you love the Word of God? Don't you love it? It's just so... Bam! Right? He's just so forthright with us. He's always forthright. And there's no, there's no gray area. It's just black and white. 
it's black and white. Then there are those guys in Hebrews 10, 32 and 34. During a time of widespread persecution of, of many, some became sharers in that per persecution as they associated themselves with the ones who were being persecuted. The text says, and they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property, knowing that they had a better possession and abiding one. Why were they open-handed? Because God was their reward. I don't need any stuff. It's nice to have stuff. We all need a little bit of stuff. But we don't need as much as we got, probably. If we did liquidate some of this stuff, what could be done in the kingdom of God? Amen? Something to think about. Something to think about. And coming to the comfort and aid of those who were being persecuted in prison... They suffered the loss of their property as it was seized by the authorities. So, it seemed good to share just a few more texts with you from God's Word with respect to this commandment for us to love one another. Again, just listen. Don't try to turn. Just listen. If you want my notes, I'll email them to you. Um, 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. Okay, there it is. Have you purified your soul? Then you have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. It's sincere. It's not feigned. It's not plastic. You fervently love one another from the heart. You know, this is just way past how I feel about you. You know, people would leave the church in Milan. I think maybe somebody's left the church here. They don't like me. They don't like me. I get it. I don't like me sometimes either. But you're, you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to love me past that, right? And I got to love you past all your issues. It's always supernatural. It's always supernatural. There at the end of 1 Peter 22, uh, chapter 1, verses 22, 23. Why is this true? For you have been born again. You have been born again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now... As to, the, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. L listen to this. For you yourselves are taught by God. You know you're supposed to do this. The Holy Spirit is giving testimony. You know how you're supposed to act in the church. You're taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you, you, you do practice it toward all the brethren. And I love this. Paul says, but we urge you what? To excel still more. Amen? to excel still more in loving one another. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any 
affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. <laughs> hey, I grew up in a crummy church. You know? This stuff wasn't really going on very much. Um, you know, the true believers in that crummy church, you know, there was a, a real love affair going on there. But in general, there wasn't a whole lot of that. Um, Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Paul says, and so as those who have been chosen of God, there it is, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against one another, and oh, can you believe it, this church split two years ago. Was it two? Whatever. How is that possible? How can we call ourselves Christians and that be possible? There's some serious sin going on. I mean, big time sin. I mean, sin that will take you straight to hell forever. That's the kind of sin. Hey, you want to split a church? Yeah. Yeah. Your recompense is coming. Back to Colossians 3, 12 through 15. We're forgiving each other. Whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, the chosen of God ones. This is how they live. This is what they do. I had some sparring missionaries in Milan. Uh, we had two missionaries in our church. They were there to help us plant an Italian language church. And they got into a big brouhaha. And it was basically personalities. But I took them to all these texts I just read you. I took them to these texts and I said, listen, you have no business in ministry if, if you can't forgive your brother and move on, right? Let's move on together. Let's grow up. Let's be adults. Let's move on. You not only have no business being in ministry, you have no business in the church. You have no business in the church. If you can't love your brother and sister and forgive them as you've been forgiven and bear with them and be patient with them. I've got a long way to go. You know, however long the Lord leaves me here, you're going to have to bear up with me. And I've got to bear up with you. 
One of the men submitted to God's word, and I have to tell you, he planted the most wonderful sister Italian language church of ours. It is amazing. I think they're, they're, they just had to move to a new, another building. They're running it. This is a 100-member church, evangelical, reformed church in Italy. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. He submitted to the word. He forgave his brother. He did all he could to make it right. The other brother just left, and he has failed m multiple times since. He hasn't learned the fundamental lesson, right? If you can't get this right, you might as well go home. You just don't get to cheat God's word. You don't get to pick and choose which commands you're going to obey today and which ones you're going to ignore. You don't get to make up your own rules of engagement in the church. God has set the rules of engagement. You radically love me and I radically love you. Basta. Full stop. Period. It's like loving the brethren is, is almost everything. It's, it's almost everything. If you don't love the brethren, the love of God is not in you, the Bible says. If the love of God is not in you, you're not a child of God, the Bible says. If you're not a child of God, you're a child of Satan. There's no middle place. There's no gray area in the Bible. I don't care how long you've been a church member. If you don't genuinely love the brethren... And that love is not being poured out in the body. I'll say it again. You have every reason to question your profession of faith. And I say that to you lovingly. You know, the man that loves you is going to give you the most truth, right? You know, I can tickle your ears up here, but I, I've made that commitment to you. I'll never tickle your ears. I'll never do it. It's a waste of time. It's an abomination. It's, what's the word I want? It's blasphemy. First John 3.10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not love his brother is not of God. First John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Beloved, this is the word of God. This is not my message. This is his message to his body. I say that we ignore it at our own peril. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together.